0: Welcome to the April 2nd, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll learn about novel insights into the link between innate immune responses and activation of coagulation during gram-negative sepsis. Examine the impact of GP-RASP proteins on hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, and explore the dynamics of clonal hematopoiesis in anemia of older individuals. Our first topic examines data from the blood article entitled, The Role of Type 1 Interferons in Gran-Negative Bacteria-Induced Coagulation, by Yang, Chang, and other members of Ben Lu's group from Central South University, Changsha, China. Bacterial infection not only stimulates innate immune responses, but also activates the coagulation cascade. Overactivation of the coagulation system in bacterial sepsis leads to disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC. This life-threatening condition is characterized by thrombotic complications from intravascular fibrin deposition, as well as hemorrhage from excessive consumption of coagulation factors and platelets. However, the mechanisms by which bacterial infection activates the coagulation cascade are still not fully understood. Using a variety of mouse models, this study made an unexpected link between gram-negative bacteria and LPS activation of type 1 interferon production in liver cells, and their release of HMGB1 to activate myeloid cells to a highly procoagulant state. They showed that type 1 interferon signaling was critical for the development of DIC in endotoxemia, or gram-negative bacterial sepsis, and that the release of HMGB1 promotes DIC by inducing phosphatidylserine exposure on myeloid cells to alter the procoagulant activity of tissue factor. To elucidate these key findings, this group made elegant use of mice with either global or lineage-specific gene disruptions or following macrophage depletion. Endotoxemia was induced by injection of LPS and polymicrobial sepsis was induced by cecal ligation and puncture. Type one interferons are a family of cytokines that orchestrate innate antiviral and antibacterial immunity. This study showed that the TLR4 adapter, TRIF, which mediates the induction of type 1 interferon expression, was also required for induction of DIC in endotoxemia. However, canonical NF-kappa-B signaling through the TLR4-MI-D88 pathway had no role for inducing DIC. HMGB1 which stands for high-mobility group box 1, is a widely expressed non-histone chromatin-binding protein, usually residing in the nucleus of a variety of cell types. These authors previously showed that type 1 interferon signaling induces hyperacetylation of the HMGB1 nuclear localization sequences, which increases its cytosolic levels for secretion. These investigators therefore postulated that type 1 interferon signaling was responsible for LPS-induced activation of the coagulation cascade by inducing release of HMGb1 into the circulation. Using mice with cell-specific deletions of HMGb1, their results implicated hepatocytes as the main source of circulating HMGb1 in septic mice. They also showed that hepatocyte-derived HMGb1 was needed to induce DIC. They next investigated the mechanism by which type 1 interferons and HMGB1 mediate LPS-induced coagulopathy. Tissue factor is a transmembrane glycoprotein that, when activated, triggers the extrinsic coagulation cascade. Tissue factor's biologic activities are regulated post-transcriptionally by multiple mechanisms. These include the availability of cell surface phosphatidylserine, or PS, which increases during gram-negative sepsis. PS assembles protease cofactor complexes of the coagulation cascade on the cell membrane. Importantly, tissue factor expressed by monocytes and macrophages is already known to be critical for the development of DIC. However, how gram-negative sepsis or LPS promote tissue factor activation remains largely unknown. Using purified macrophages, This group showed that HMGB1 is directly responsible for increasing cell surface availability of phosphatidylserine, which thereby activates tissue factor. Mechanistically, they established that HMGB1 activates a non-canonical inflammasome pathway by delivering LPS for cytosolic activation of caspase-11, which cleaves gasdermin D to form nanopores in the plasma membrane. This results in externalization of phosphatidylserine and activation of tissue factor procoagulant activity. As noted in an accompanying commentary by Wolfram Ruff from Johannes Gutenberg University Medical Center in Germany and Scripps Research in California, this study provides the conceptually new insight that a specific arm of the innate immune response connects tissue stress to the post-translational activation of tissue factor on immune cells. The TLR4 adapter TRIF and type 1 interferon receptor signaling are connected in this link to promote DIC. This commentary also notes that the new connection of DIC induction uncovered in this study may be part of a broader crosstalk between coagulation and immunity in infectious diseases. This crosstalk may provide an opportunity to develop new therapeutic strategies to prevent DIC and sepsis. Next up, we'll discuss evidence presented in the blood article entitled, GP RASP proteins are critical negative regulators of hematopoietic stem cell transplantation by Antonio Morales Hernandez from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and other members of this group led by Shannon McKinney Freeman. Hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, commonly referred to as HSCT, is often exploited as a curative therapy for patients with life-threatening hematologic disorders, hematologic malignancies, and bone marrow failure. Recent advances in HSCT, such as milder conditioning regimens and haplotransplantation, have improved on recognized limitations of HSCT, including donor availability and conditioning-related morbidities. However, more work needs to be done to improve the efficacy of this critical therapy. For example, ex vivo manipulation of HSCs for gene therapy compromises their homing and engraftment, and small cell numbers often limits the utility of cord blood HSCs as a source for transplantation. Donor HSCs must survive, proliferate, and differentiate in the environment of the donor niche to reconstitute hematopoiesis. This study, performed in mouse models, is important because it illuminates a new molecular mechanism, regulating activity of transplanted HSC repopulating activity, and their interactions with the hematopoietic niche. In a novel approach, the authors chose to examine the functional role of GP-RASP proteins in HSCT. gp stands for Multiple-G Protein-Coupled Receptor-Associated Sorting Proteins. Several family members are expressed in HSC. GPRASP proteins share a conserved 15-amino acid sequence called a GASP domain. Molecularly, GPRASPs can bind to G-protein-coupled receptors, abbreviated as GPCR, and regulate GPCR post-endocytic trafficking via their C-terminal and GASP domains. While the cellular functions of most GPRASPs are unknown, Several have been linked to stemness and regeneration. This group previously discovered GP-RASP2 as a hit in a screen for novel HSC regulators. As GP-RASPs had never been previously linked to hematopoiesis, they decided to interrogate GP-RASP2 and several other GP-RASPs expressed in hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells, also known as HSPCs, for a role in HSC transplantation. Evidence presented in this study shows that GP-RAS proteins function as negative regulators of HSC transplantation. Using a series of mouse models, the investigators found that the silencing of GP-RASP1 or GP-RASP2 with shRNAs increased the survival, quiescence, migration, niche retention, and hematopoietic repopulating activity, as studied in vitro and post-transplant. Surprisingly, genetic deletion of either GPRASP1 or GPRASP2 had no effect on hematopoietic reconstitution. In contrast to the results with gene silencing, they discovered a third GPRASP family member, BHLHB9, was upregulated in the GPRASP1 or GPRASP2 knockout HSCs. This upregulation was able to compensate for genetic loss of the other two GPRASP proteins and thus represents a third GPRASP family member that can regulate HSPC function following transplant. The team went on to identify the mechanism by which GPRASP proteins function as negative regulators of HSPCs. GPRASPs regulate GPCR trafficking by directing them to the lysosome for degradation after internalization. The GPCR CXCR4 is an important regulator of HSC function. CXCR4 binds to STF1, also known as CXCL12, which acts as a potent chemoattractant of HSPCs to the hematopoietic niche. An in-silico search revealed that CXCR4 contains a putative GASP binding motif. Using flow cytometry, these investigators found that HSPCs with silence GP-RASP1 or 2 showed increased accumulation of CXCR4 in the cytoplasm and then at the cell surface. They also used confocal microscopy with Forster Resonance Energy Transfer, or FRET, to show that GPRASP1 and 2 physically interact with CXCR4 in HSCs. In aggregate, these results demonstrate that GPRASPs negatively regulate CXCR4 dynamics and stability in HSC. Importantly, to definitively establish CXCR4 as central to GPRASP regulation of HSPC function, they showed that silencing of GPRASP1 or 2 had no effect on HSPC functions in vitro or on engraftment in CXCR4-deficient HSPCs. In summary, this informative report reveals that GPRASP proteins are importantly negative regulators of HSC transplantation, and CXCR4 activity. CXCR4 accumulates in GPRASP deficient HSPCs, boosting their function post-transplant. The inability of GPRASP1 and 2 to compensate for each other in knockdown studies suggests that these proteins may participate in distinct steps of CXCR4 processing following endocytic internalization. Additional studies are needed to delineate these steps as well as to determine the role of a third GPRAS protein, bhl 9 As noted in an accompanying commentary by John Shute at UCLA in Los Angeles, these results raise exciting fundamental questions regarding the broader role of GPRAS proteins in regulating other GPCRs expressed by HSPC. At the same time, GPRAS proteins represent attractive new targets for pharmacologic, or biologic interventions. Of note, both GPRASP1 and GPRASP2 are expressed in human marrow CD34 positive cells. Disruption of the interactions of CXCR4 with GPRASPs could be exploited in the future to enhance human HSC engraftment and mobilization in patients. Now for an overview of a collaborative study by two groups in the Netherlands and recently published in Blood, entitled Mutational Spectrum and Dynamics of Clonal Hematopoiesis in Anemia of Older Individuals by Dr. van Zeventer from the University Medical Center, Groningen, Netherlands and Dr. de Graaf from Radboud University Medical Center of Nijmegen and their colleagues. Upon aging... Hematopoietic clones harboring acquired leukemia-associated mutations expand and become detectable, a condition referred to as clonal hematopoiesis, or CH. Landmark studies have revealed the age-related emergence of clonal somatic mutations in a significant proportion of individuals. Although generally occurring in otherwise healthy people without noticeable symptoms, CH has also been shown to be associated with hematologic neoplasias, cardiovascular disease, and a pro-inflammatory signature. It is currently unknown whether CH is also associated with other characteristics of the aging hematopoietic system. This includes anemia, which is the most common cytopenia in older individuals. According to the third U.S. National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey cohort, using World Health Organization hemoglobin cutoffs to define anemia, More than 10% of community-dwelling Americans over 60 were anemic, including more than 20% of those over the age of 85. Two-thirds of these anemia cases were caused by renal failure, nutritional deficiency, or inflammation. The remaining one-third were unexplained. The high prevalence of anemia in the elderly is now being reconsidered, given that expanded blood cell populations derived from HSC harboring acquired mutations are present in almost everyone by middle age. In an effort to investigate the relationship between CH and anemia in elderly patients, the authors elected to explore the landscape and dynamics of CH in older anemic individuals. Using the Lifelines cohort, a group of individuals living in the northern part of the Netherlands, these investigators selected 676 patients who were more than 60 years old with anemia. According to World Health Organization criteria, they compared these to a control cohort, matched one-to-one for age, sex, body mass index, smoking, and number of medications. The prevalence of anemia in the Lifelines cohort was just over 3%, considerably lower than the U.S. cohort, perhaps related to better overall health in the Netherlands or germline genetic differences. Peripheral blood from 1,298 individuals was analyzed for acquired mutations at greater than 1% variant allele frequency, commonly known as VAF, using a custom panel of 27 myeloid and lymphoid malignancy-associated driver genes. To track clonal evolution over time, the authors included all available follow-up samples from 943 patients. The results proved quite interesting. CH was more frequently detected in anemic individuals in 46.6% compared to 39.1% of controls with a p-value of 0.007. No differences were observed between anemic individuals and controls in the frequency of mutations involving DNMT3A, TET2, or ASXL1, genes commonly affected in CH. However, Other mutations were enriched in the anemia cohort, including TP53 and SF3B1. In addition, unlike individuals with nutrient deficiency, patients with anemia of chronic inflammation and unexplained anemia revealed a higher prevalence of clonal hematopoiesis, with p-values of 0.035 and 0.017 respectively, compared to their matched controls. Follow-up analyses revealed that clones may expand and decline, generally showing only a subtle increase in VAF over 44 months, irrespective of the presence of anemia. The investigators also discovered that specific CH mutations were associated with different growth rates and propensities to acquire an additional hit. Generally, clones only conferred a limited selective advantage over time. However... In contrast to smaller clones with a VAF of less than 5%, which did not affect overall survival, the presence of larger clones was associated with increased risk of death. An accompanying commentary by David Steamsa from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and Harvard Medical School in Boston notes that the difference in the incidence of CH between anemic and non-anemic patients, while statistically significant, was small. This suggests that the mutations do not account for the majority of anemias in elderly people. This is underscored by the fact that there was no difference between groups in the prevalence of the three most common CH-associated mutations, DNMT3A, TET2, and ASXL1. In the future, when both clonal hematopoiesis and cytopenias are present in a patient, it will be helpful to have tests that can distinguish if these are unrelated or instead causal and connected. In addition, knowing which clones have the greatest risk of causing subsequent clinical complications is also an important goal. Thanks to this investigation, we've come a little closer to those targets. For a list of additional authors as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening. The Blood Podcast series is made possible in part by support from Servier Pharmaceuticals.